With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome to Weekends. It's a delight to have your company today. And thank you for sharing the promos for this show out on the various different social media networks as we continually build our new audience on this platform, now being on video, as well, of course, as you can have audio if you're listening on the app in the car through Bluetooth. What a way to change the way that you listen to your news as we are modernising the world, it seems, with citizen journalism turning into independent journalism and, of course, taking on the mainstream. And it is a very, very different landscape than it was only a year ago. 2024, as promised, has started off with a bang. The news cycle is getting faster and faster, not because we're losing interest, but because there's more and more news. The stories this week of the tunnels discovered in New York under the synagogue were shocking and frightening because it opens up yet another Pandora's box of possibility. What is really going on? And of course, there are many nervous people as we look around with the Jeffrey Epstein revelations that continually seem to come out. And if your name is Bill Clinton, you are either going to feel very ill very quickly, as he always seems to do when Epstein's name is mentioned in the mainstream, or there are many other ways that Bill Clinton just looks horrible as the revelations come out. If you're Prince Andrew, yeah, you wouldn't be feeling much better either. But of course, associations expand. We saw this week at the Golden Globes, someone looking like Oprah Winfrey was being escorted in, being held by the hand. And of course, there was lots of speculation about what exactly was going on. And even if it was Oprah or someone standing in for her, very, very odd situation indeed. If you're Hunter Biden, you are also looking extremely extremely nervous as you're now facing depositions and nowhere really to go. And it seems that the more pressure that they put on Donald Trump, the cooler he gets. He even stood up in court this week and despite being given only a minute, got to defend himself in front of Judge Engeron. Quite incredible what's happening there. The only case I've ever heard of in history whereby a man is being punished for seemingly inflating the value of a property to get a better loan term, that is a lower interest rate and better insurance. I don't know about you, but anyone watching or listening right now that's ever bought a property, just think about what was involved with the bank getting a valuation on your property before you're allowed to even get a loan against it because the bank has to make sure that they've got enough security. So how is it that on your 200, please, I hope it was only $200,000 home loan or $500,000 or a million dollar home loan, that the bank can be that uh, precise in how they're going to value the property. And of course, then they have, you know, you can only borrow 20%, sorry, you have to have a 20% deposit, otherwise you pay lenders, mortgage insurance and all those rules. But in Donald Trump's case, if you're borrowing hundreds of millions of dollars, the bank says, oh, no, we're not going to go and bother sending out a valuer. We'll just take that man's word for it. It just seems preposterous, the whole idea of this particular case. And more seemingly more ridiculous is why is it that if you're a higher risk that you pay more money, that therefore it becomes even more risky in terms of the interest rate? And when you do settle that loan, does the bank give you some form of rebate for overcharging you in the first place because you weren't a risk at all? Very, very interesting scenario right there. Well, there's a lot going on today in, in the show, and I'm very excited that uh, my 
my first guest will be on in a moment. His name is David Archibald, and I'll introduce him in a moment. But we've also got on today Richard Castles, who's a journalist for The Age. He's uh, getting ready behind the scenes to talk about a number of different stories that he's put together. And I hope to have a very lighthearted conversation about some Australian issues, as well as other things that he's watching around the world. And in the third hour today, we're going to have Captain Dan Hanley, along with Captain Doug Green. Those two gentlemen are fighting for 9-11 truth, and that is another story that just will not go away. And those gentlemen will be here to dig deep. And in the final hour, a new guest on TNT Radio, that's Andrew Blythe. He is the fellow of the John Howard Institute of Strategic Studies, and he's also been head of the John Howard Library at the old Parliament House. He worked in that particular government uh, ministry, in, uh, involved very heavily there, and has a lot to say about what's going on in modern politics as a big change in landscape happened after John Howard was removed from office after becoming Australia's second, second longest serving Prime Minister. And since that period of time, we've had seven Prime Minister changes in as little as 15 years. And uh, Andrew is also predicting that Anthony Albanese may well be the next to be turned over in a term. Quite extraordinary. But my first guest, and I think he's ready to come on in just a moment, his name is David Archibald. He graduated in geology from the University of Queensland. He has been a visiting fellow at the Institute for World Politics in Washington, D.C., and a graduate school for the Department of Defence, State Department and U.S. intelligence agencies. David gives lectures on climate, cancer science, COVID science and fighter aircraft design. Can you imagine that? He is an author of several books, including Solar Cycle 24, Twilight of Abundance, Why Life in the 21st Century Will Be Nasty, Brutish and Short, The Past and Future of Climate, American Gripen, The Solution of the to the F-35 Nightmare. And David Archibald is also author of The Anti-Cancer Garden in Australia. And he's here to discuss a number of issues, including a new uh story he's just written on COVID. And we'll just wait to see if we've got David there. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is play a clip for you now. This is shocking. Deborah Burks, who was effectively the 2IC to Anthony Fauci in the COVID years in the um, US government, who was all there telling us the rules of COVID, was on Chris Cuomo's show this week on News Nation. And she's comparing long COVID with HIV. How about that? I'm going to play you a short clip and then we'll bring David in to start the show. Comparisons to HIV. You've done a ton of research in this. Uh, do you believe this is a false flag? Is there something that contextually uh, people need to understand about that comparison? Or is this much darker a potential reality than we knew? The reason the comparison to HIV is important is because HIV was also asymptomatic. I mean, you couldn't see the virus through symptoms because people were infected for seven, eight, nine years before they developed symptoms. But HIV quietly destroyed our immune system. And we learned a lot about immunology from HIV, and it's changed completely our cancer therapy. We're learning now about mitochondria and viral impact and brain fog and this, the changes in our neurons and the, the cells that nourish our neurons that really allow us to think and move. And we're learning that because what of the long COVID has done. And so there's two sides of this coin every time. There's a lot of destruction that mild and moderate COVID can do, that is on scene, just like HIV was destroying our immune system. But what came out of that is brilliant science that changed how we treated HIV. And if you're diagnosed today, you can live a, a very 
normal lifespan and people not only survive but thrive. We need to get to the place where people with long COVID, we've done the research so that people with long COVID can not only survive but thrive. Wow. Just uh, an incredible revelation there. And uh, as we're preparing, I'm just uh, having a look at David's article uh, to the site here. And uh, I'm just going to uh, just get the uh, website address for people who'd like to have a look. It's the wentworthreport.com. David's written an article, uh, COVID, how will it end up? And uh, of course, this is the question that all of us want to know and have answers for. And so part of the conversation today will be about uh, what, what he's uh, theorizing here on the work that David has done uh, and the background, of course, because um, when you think about the big issues of the day, and it's interesting that we're going to be talking about COVID origins in this uh, hour, uh, as we're going to talk about 9-11 uh, a little bit later on in the show, but these are stories that won't go away. And it will be Dan Hanley later on that's going to talk about uh, that they're connected. Imagine that all of these stories, all of these unanswered, uh, and where we give the, or we get these uh, nonsense responses that no one seems to believe, like Lee Harvey Oswald, the uh, lone assassin. Uh, that's a big story, JFK. It's probably the beginning of how all of this works. And then you move a little bit further to 9-11 um, uh, in the future. And of course, many, many questions that need to be answered there. For example, World Trade Center 7, how did it uh, collapse on that day? There's always an answer from officialdom, but there are more and more experts who are not agreeing with those responses. And then you move forward to uh, COVID and the origins of COVID. Interesting today also that Donald Trump in a speech has come out and uh, and said that he still believes that it was accidentally let out, given that it was the China virus, knows where it came from, but still arguing that it was an accident that uh, some scientists came out to meet his girlfriend and it just got out like that. That's actually what he said. And I feel like when you listen to terms like that, it's deliberate that it can't be that obvious. You can't plan for something, then just somehow it just comes out. And of course, two months after Agenda uh, 201, where the plans for this particular incident were going on, it just doesn't make any sense there. So um, we continue work through these questions and asking what's going on. I just feel like Trump is playing people to a certain point, and then someone will come in in the new administration and then reveal a big bombshell that it wasn't accidentally let out at all. And that's when the uh, can of worms begins. That's kind of what uh, we're expecting behind the scenes. It's just very, very interesting how uh, it's just inching, inching, inching towards it where no one really knows what uh, is going on. We don't have enough evidence about it. But when you have a, a, a narrative that is agreed upon, after all the narratives that have been agreed upon, that never worked out. You just know that the lab leak agenda is not really where we're going. Now, it looks like that uh, David's almost ready to come in and uh, I'll just wait for word in my ear that he is, but I'm very excited to uh, to, to get him on the show. So, uh, David, I've done a brief intro just before. Uh, you have the most incredible resume. How do you have time to do all the work that you do? Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I don't have a television in the household. And I don't attend meetings. <laughs> You've just saved yourself many, many hours, and that would explain a lot of the work that you're doing. In the um, the lead up, the introduction to, to today's show, I, I just sort of um, did some intro about the comparisons of a number of different issues, uh, the, the origins of COVID, 9-11, uh, the JFK assassinations, all big pictures that we never really got satisfactory answers to. 
And in many ways, there seems to be a common link. It's a three-letter intelligence agency in America, and it just seems to keep coming up more and more. What I'd like to do, David, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about with COVID, and, and we're probably a little bit restricted with time, but um, I'd like to go back to the COVID origins. It's a story that no one really wants to talk about. Can you go back and explain what you first thought or first saw and what led you to your research that told us that uh, there was something very, very wrong here that normally brings up that name of Ralph Barrett? Well, let's, if we, let's go right back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's probably 1959, uh, and the CIA funded Gloria Steinem. When she set out, she uh, graduated from university, set out to be a professional feminist, the first one in the world, and uh, she needed funding. And her friend said, go to the CIA, they will help you. And she got her first funding from the CIA. So in 1959, the CIA thought we, they'd start in social engineering. They'd make the world a better place by imposing their mores on the rest of the world. And two years later, they assassinated President Kennedy. And there was probably a falling out over Operation Northwoods in that the CIA and the DOD had formulated a plan to conduct some false flag attacks within the US, kill some US citizens, and that would be an excuse to invade Cuba. It would be hung on the Cubans. Um, President Kennedy didn't go along with that, and he was assassinated in 61. Then many years passed. I think the next event is the foundation of the Club of Rome in 1968. And in 1972, they published uh, The Limits to Growth, in which it said, well, the problem with the world is just too many humans. And then in 1982, the Georgia Guidestones went up. And I'll give the other side, the COVID cabal, who's behind all this thing, they do telegraph their punches. So in 1982, someone paid for the stone monument to be uh, erected as a mini sort of Stonehenge, and on it it says we've got to reduce the world population to 500 million and be in balance with nature, and that's driven them thereafter. And then uh, global warming had blown hot and cold as an issue. In the 70s, it was fashionable to, to say that the world was cooling, we're all going back into an ice age, and then that flipped in the late 70s to global warming. But then in the 1980s, you start getting major figures coming out in favour of killing off the world's population. Prince Philip said that he would like to be reincarnated as a deadly virus, and so did Boris Johnson's father, Stanley Johnson, also said on television he wants to come back as a virus and kill the rest, um, most of the planet's population. And then we had Bill Gates pick up in the 80s, uh, also in the 80, late 80s, saying that uh, what he needs is a vaccine to cause sterility in the rest of the world, how their people are going to get to take that vaccine wasn't disclosed. And then the next thing in hindsight you pick up is that Ralph Barrick, a researcher at the University of uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, in the mid 80s started publishing papers in which he used a coronavirus to cause heart problems in rabbits, myocarditis, pericarditis, ECG problems. And he published about eight papers in total. The last one, I think, was about 1999. Uh, now, he didn't say why he'd lit upon a coronavirus to do this or why you'd want to cause 
heart problems in rabbits, but seemingly it's the closest thing he and the cheapest thing he could use to humans. And um, so he was an early entrant into it from the mid 80s, thinking we will use this uh, to court heart disease. Then along came AIDS in the mid 70s. There's a parallel track. And it took a while for the disease to be sorted out and what caused it. But bioweapons, when they eventually figured it out, which is that AIDS or HIV will uh, infect you and then go off to immuno immunoprotective tissue where it can't be chased by the immune system. And from there, it bombards the immune system and eventually wears it out. And your CD4 levels, for instance, should be in the range of 700 to 1500. They will go down at the rate of 35 units per annum. And by reducing your immunity, you become susceptible to other diseases, fungi, cancers, the whole lot. In fact, the biggest killer of, of HIV people in long term is tuberculosis. And as an aside, we're seeing increases in tuberculosis burden throughout the civilized world, actually. A lot of people have it in their system, but it's suppressed by the immune system. Now we're throwing the immune system out of balance due to COVID and these other diseases that are springing up. Anyway. The bioweapons researchers really loved HIV. They admired it as a disease because it didn't kill people straight away, but made sure they were dead. So the average life expectancy of a HIV patient after being infected, this is prior to the invention of antivirals, uh, was 12 years. And if you look at uh, Freddie Mercury, he probably got infected in uh, New York in the mid-70s. Um, he took a few years to develop Kaposi's sarcoma. He used to put on heavy makeup to cover that up. Um, I think he his last concert was in 86, and I think he died in 92. Uh, he was a long one. He was probably like 17 years. Um, but an average is 12 years. Anyway, the, the bioweapons researchers loved HIV. And uh, if we go to the um, background to it, it was very, it's very difficult to put together a virus that they wanted in that you can either be highly lethal as a virus or you can be highly infectious. Yes. If, you, if you're highly lethal, you're easily tracked down. Therefore, SARS was probably an earlier attempt at this, and SARS was e easily tracked down and eradicated. It killed 30% of the people that infected. MERS was probably another lab escape that uh, this actually it's that was said it came from camels but no intermediates been found it's never been found in camels since it was just probably a nonsense but it was easy tracked out and stopped these things escaped from the lab very readily so the chinese uh had several labs playing with virus and from 2003 to about 2016 it is the original sars had escaped from a chinese uh, lab about three or four times so also the bioweapons researchers knew that if you gave something to a Chinese lab to play with, eventually it will escape. That implies that you didn't make it and it didn't escape from your lab, so you're sort of avoiding responsibility. But And then nevertheless, the technology wasn't there until the mid-2000s. And Ralph Barrick uh, invented the gene splicing technology, which enabled you to assemble anything and not leave any trace in the genome that there was an artificial creation. Uh, it's called there's no CM technology. And then things progressed a bit along, but in 2008, I think the Obama 
administration at the time banned gain-of-function research in the United States, which sort of might have put a spanner in the works or it might not have, depending on how uh, dark you want to be. Um, Fauci was picked as an eco-loon by the powers that be. He had uh, run the botched the response to HIV. Eventually, they got past him, and we got antivirals. And most people with HIV live a full life on antivirals. Even a pregnant someone with HIV on antivirals has only a one percent chance of, of transmitting that HIV to the baby being born. So you can almost you can live just about completely normal lives. You're just. Uh, I uh, have to take a pill every day. And so there's, there's a big side effect profile with those antivirals, um, which we'll get to further down the track. Yes. What I'll do, David, uh, is I'll, I'll just take a quick pause because we're just running a little bit behind. And uh, we need to run to a break, but that's a, a huge seed that you've just planted there. And I want to come back and explore it. We'll take that break right now and we'll be back with more here on weekends with my guest, David Archibald. You're watching and listening to TNT. TNT Radio's Kate Shamarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all, they just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if, I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. I'm just going to do a little I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, 
The Dangers of Gender-Affirming Care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour is David Archibald. David, before the break, we were going through some detail about the origins of COVID, etc. Just a couple of quick, short questions as we uh, jump back into the story. The idea of myocarditis identified in rabbits does that mean, therefore, that there was an expectation with a certain crew of scientists that myocarditis would come out after COVID and perhaps even in the mRNA vaccines, or is this completely separate? Well, in a bigger sense, um, once you've got a once you've got a virus that's got bits of HIV in it, um, as COVID does, it's got some fragments. In it, there were as identified by Ninia group straight away in January 19, January 2020, and by Pradhan. And um, you think, well, that's it. They don't need to do anything more. Why they went to the trouble of of uh, adding a heart effect, and and Barrick may have known everything. And it also begs the question of why they needed the vaccines. They put an enormous amount of effort into getting as many vac- people vaccinated as possible. Now, bearing in mind the whole thing is about ill intent, uh, they either thought it wanted to another, there's another payload in the vaccines that couldn't be delivered by the virus, and whether that's the SV40 fragments or the myocarditis, pericarditis, um, but they overreached, in my opinion. They didn't do that and didn't need to do that. They could have let the COVID go, and um, there's another side story to all this in that um, they, they sent, the Barrick sent off humanised mice to, to Wuhan in 2015. These are mice that had human ACE2 receptors uh, on the uh, lining endothelium. And so they could replicate humans um, and you could try your virus on it. So we may knew that all the formula for, for making the virus had get to sent to Wuhan. Gain of function was uh, banned in the US but EcoHealth Alliance was created as a cutout between them so that money transferred in the US could go after Wuhan and fund it. Now, it's also thought that uh, Batwoman, uh, her name's she something rather, uh, she probably got funding within China to develop what she was doing. She probably ran around, got a few million dollars. And the reason why they did it in Wuhan, it was a BSL-2 lab. And so it was a lot cheaper than operating a bigger lab. And so they may have lost partial control over Wuhan. I don't think they wanted the, the virus to come out when it did in October 2019. Bear in mind, we're also told the CIA was closely monitoring the lab to see where the virus would leak. And some have said that the CIA knew, CIA knew that the, the uh, virus had leaked before the Chinese government did. And um, certainly 
US spy satellites were able to pick up the, the uh, mobile phone traffic within the Wuhan laboratory and also look at the number of cars in the tar park and everything else to indicate there had been an outbreak in October of 2019, or leak from the lab. But anyway, all that implies then that the virus that came out may not have been the ideal virus for the COVID cabal. And thus that brings up Omicron. So early on, the, the virus was killing a few people and causing a cytokine storm. And um, the cytokine storms were getting worse as the, as the virus mutated. And that may have been enough to cause people to shut down transmission. But uh, Omicron came out, was uh, released in South Africa. And what virologists immediately found strange was it seemed to have evolved from something that was last seen six months previously. So the COVID cabal had picked up a version of the virus, played with it until they got rid of the cytokine storm. And then there was a flood of comments on Twitter saying, thank goodness Omicron's mild. You know, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And uh, my correspondent in, uh, in the US state who'd worked in uh, AIDS vaccines in the 1990s and knew the science inside out, said they made a uh, change on the E protein of the COVID virus and that got rid of the cytokine storms. And um, the thing continues to evolve and the long-term cancer burden and everything else comes with it. So back to your question, the heart thing, I think that may have been a sop to Barrick because he'd spent 15 years of his life trying to kill people with, with coronaviruses by heart disease. And they may have thrown the SV40 in it. Now, as an indication of what can happen to the SV40, polio vaccines for quite a while, for decades, had SV40 in it, simian virus 40. It was used to help grow the virus in, uh, in the manufacturing of it. And if the companies were slack, that would continue into the product that went out the door. So right at this moment, 5% of the population of the UK, for example, has SV40 incorporated in their genome, which will be there to the end of time. Now, that's not too alarming in that about 7% of your genome is actually viral fragments that we've incorporated over millions of years, hundreds of millions of years, perhaps. Um, so the heart disease is unfortunate. Uh, I think it was overreach on their part. The vaccines, they put so much effort into making people vaccinated that uh, there must be a hidden payload in it to justify that effort. Now, that's really interesting. Now, the other thing I wanted to just clarify here, if if this is clearly manufactured through gain of function and Ralph Barrick's fingerprints seem to be all over it, then the idea of a lab leak is seemingly just more theatre. What do you do? Do you just hold it indefinitely? and then somehow it's meant to just leak out one way or another so that nobody actually gets blamed. But clearly there's already intent. They've made this. I'm trying to work out from a legal standpoint, if we do get to the COVID, to the actual origins here, can or will anyone be actually possibly held to account in what seems to be the greatest crime against humanity in human history? Well, I believe it was a leak. And part of the doing it in Wuhan and not having a leak in some you know, random part of Montana is you have your hands as far as possible for it. So initially they came out and said, we had nothing to do with it, it was the, the uh, Chinese being malevolent as, no, as normal. Um, so it's logical to my mind uh, that they would have let it. Now, you know that if it do it in a Chinese lab, it will leak. 
But I think they were wanted, they planned it later in Trump's presidency, closer to the election. They didn't want him sort of curing and closing it down and having the right advice before the election came along. But as it was for the election, they used COVID as the excuse to have mail-in ballots, which where most of the fraud came from. So it all hung together in the end. Um, Trump took a lot of bad advice. Uh, um, no, nobody ever asked anybody who'd actually worked in viral research and was a goodie. Mm. That is interesting, isn't it? Because just watching through, many people were wondering how it was that Trump kept Fauci in power for so long. You could see that they were at odds, but uh, Trump just seemed to want to let them almost th uh, give them enough rope, so to speak, so that this is where we got to today. But you never think that so many years have passed since the beginning, and we don't seem to be much further along in any sort of official capacity or recognition. The most we've seen is the FBI saying, well, it was man-made, um, but other agencies not agree still trying to go along with this zoonotic origin nonsense, which it just it defies any logic. And so that's very, very complicated um, in terms of getting some sort of consensus to be able to just move to the next level. It's like we need to see a change of government in the United States for Trump to get back into office, perhaps with RFK Jr. somewhere in the mix, maybe his attorney general, something as uh, exciting as that before we see some real aggressive approaches here. But um, I just want to just circle back to some other information. And it's, it's, it's in one of your articles that you wrote, and I'll see if I can find the um, the actual quote here. Um, it, it's this quote from a different article that says, why vaccination? The COVID cabal knew of the potential for antibody-driven enhancement, which means that a vaccine might train the immune system to fight a particular variant of the virus. But the virus mutates so that the immune system makes the wrong-shaped antibody for the new variant. And there is a higher infection rate than if people had remained unvaccinated. The IgG class switching to IgG4, which treats COVID as if it was just an allergy, may have been a bonus for the COVID cabal. So there's two things I want to talk about there. It's IgG4. I think it's been underexplained out there in the um, in, in any form of media. But also the idea that when Omicron came along, one of the first things that was announced was that it was a mutation of the spike protein, which basically meant that all those vaccines up until that point were now useless against Omicron because it was like a jigsaw puzzle. It was the wrong piece. Is that as obvious as it sounds? Uh, not completely correct, as far as I understand it, that Omicron was a change on the protein E, which hardly mutates at all uh, um, in COVID. And... Um, the vaccines were probably useless by then anyway. The vaccines are pretty useless on anything that's more than three months old. Um, and then they cause the antibody-driven enhancement through the IgGs, and um, I wouldn't get hung up on it, um, on that aspect of Omicron. Omicron was basically trying to get back to what the COVID cabal wanted um, rather than what could... And actually, bear in mind, all these labs produce various um, variants number of them, and they try them out on rats and, and these humanoid mice and see what happened to them. Um. It's uh, it's just such a, a shocking state of affairs. If you were just tuning in, for example, if you're just a normal mum and dad, whatever, watching mainstream news, and you just happen to be flicking through the internet or you're on Twitter today and you just say, what is this show here on TNT Radio? And you just found out about these terms that were talked about, you know, SV40, IgG4, different types of terms, uh, antibodies that uh, don't match vaccines, etc. You must be wondering why your doctor isn't aware of any of these particular stories. I, I just had occasion last night to speak 
to a, a GP and he was kind of oblivious to the whole thing uh, and never really understood. He said, so what's it really all about? And I, and I mentioned the idea of um, there has to be enough evidence out there to be able to say that there is an agenda, that there are just too many people, according to those that rule the world, uh, like we mentioned at the start of our, our chat today. Um, and he just shook his head. It was just it was just a bridge too far. Meanwhile, everything that, that I had explained to him about lead up to this point was yes, 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 yes. And then it was no. And that's a really interesting point because as much as you can provide evidence along the way, if people aren't prepared for what the outcome is, it just is a complete roadblock at that point. Uh, and they just don't want to know about it, even for somebody trained as a medical professional. How do you feel about that when you hear that? Do you realise how just how difficult it is to get this message out there, despite all the scientific efforts that you and so many others have put in, David? Uh, what I find strange is a complete lack of natural curiosity out of the medical profession on this mm -hmm. whole matter. They're all true trust, trusting that the, that the system looks after himself and there are people who are doing the right thing all the time when that's not the case. And and they don't look at evidence, um, I think. Uh, but let's go on a bit. So the final question, uh, let's go back a bit to another question in that the world has accepted that it came out of a lab, but it hasn't asked the next question. What was it designed to do? Because if it was, it was artificial, it was designed. What was it designed to do? And we need to defeat what it was designed to do to overcome this thing. But in the meantime, there's no curiosity out of the medical profession. I don't know how many people are going to die before people start taking an interest. In a way, it's a parallel with AIDS. Uh, they didn't know what was going on, dismissed it. And I don't know how many people are going to get long COVID and start complaining uh, before some changes are made. We go to antivirals. We go, uh, you basically, we'll all end up, have to end up on, in my opinion, is a combination of vitamin D, set and zinc, and one or two others. People who've had COVID, and uh, because you may have COVID in your immunoprotected tissues, but you may not have circulating virus in your blood. So how do you detect it from a blood test? You can detect your viral load in HIV, but whether you can have a blood test for COVID, no one's bothered either developing one yet. This is four years in, it's probably the most basic thing you would do. Mm. It's such an interesting point. Just on that, David, if if somebody went to their to their doctor, I don't even know if the doctor would be able to approve a test. It's a different test, I would assume, to test somebody for HIV as it would be to test their CD4 levels. But let's say someone was able to get a test for their CD4 levels and they came back at, I don't know, two or 300 or something quite low. Would the doctor be able to read that and interpret that perhaps as that this person is HIV positive or something because they're showing low immune system? Is, is it related in that sense or are these, again, completely different? Now, uh, CD4 not necessarily a, um, indicates HIV alone. It can be a number of other things. It means your immune system's on the way out. You're about to be whacked with a whole lot of opportunistic um, cancers and fungi and, and the rest of it. And it's not just CD4. There's also your neutrophils. You probably should get your, most of your lymphocyte panel done. What's also important is a CD4, CD8 ratio. So uh, normally your CD4 level is higher than your CD8 level. But if they're both in the normal range and your CD4 level is below your CD8 level, that's an inverted CD4, CD8 ratio, and you've got disease progression. Um, it's important to get a test soon if you've ever had COVID and then have another test in six or 12 months. You can be feel normal for years on end and still have a, a 
progressively worsening uh, viral load that you're unaware of. Um, and you basically track it by the CD4 level. It's very interesting. And that's why you made that reference earlier to uh, some of these therapeutics that people might just have to be able to to be have access to for indefinite periods when you mentioned the vitamin Ds and the uh, and the zincs and and quercetin uh, a, a, as part of that regime. Is that to build up and to defend the uh, immune system or the way that the body works? Is that the idea you're approaching there? Yes, I am. Um, in all, most diseases, including viruses and cancers and everything else and bacteria and fungi, you should maximise your uh, immune system, not just boost it, but go to the max, um, which means a vitamin D level in the range of 50 to 70 nanograms per mil. I think Melbourne in summer is 28 nanograms per mil and in winter it drops about 24 nanograms per mil. Um, in uh, northern China, for instance, in winter, it's down to five nanograms per mil. And uh, in Arab countries where the women are covered head to toe in cloth and never get a UVB on their skin, they are running at five nanograms per mil and uh, subject to much higher rates of infection. Your cancer rate for prostate and breast cancer halves between 25 nanograms per mil and about 60 nanograms per mil. And um, a few other cancers like that. And also bear in mind that vi some viruses, including COVID and Epstein-Barr virus, have evolved to switch off your vitamin D receptor on your cells. And they aren't switched on again unless you use a vitamin D receptor activator, which is one of the roles of quercetin. And the other role of quercetin is being a zinc ionophore. So a zinc ionophore will force zinc into cells. Zinc's very antiviral. Um, so, mm. so throw in some selenium and all that. Um, and then there's some of the flavonoids uh, are directly antiviral. Quite a lot, quite a few of them are quite strong antivirals. Um, it's an extraordinary uh, situation, but uh, awareness, of course, is everything, David. Uh, and that's a terrific uh, situation. What I'll do is I'll, we're going to take a break in a moment. Before we do, I just want to give people the web address where they can read these articles that you've written. It's wentworthreport.com. That's your starting point there, and you'll be able to track down uh, the various different articles that David's written, many articles on COVID throughout the period there. And I recommend that you, you get on there and use them as a reference and just to be able to share it, of course, with others that may be asking questions down the track or just for yourself to get good hard data in all of David's articles there. Lots of information and background information. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with more here on Weekends with Jason Olborn on TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. I'm rarely surprised by what the mainstream media puts forth, but every once in a while, even I say, whoa, are you kidding me? Here's Jonathan Capehart with his opinion on who's responsible for the attempt to take Donald Trump off the ballot. These challenges are being brought by Republicans in those states, challenging his Trump's ability to be on the Republican primary ballot. This is this has nothing to do with Democrats. Not I mean Democrats are surely cheering what's happening, but they're not the driving force behind this. And the the, the former president. Uh, doesn't want to go there, doesn't even touch it, um, tries to reverse it and put it on Democrats when the, the call is coming from within his own party. Come on, Jonathan, you got to be kidding. Of course, the judges in Colorado who kicked him off the ballot, four Democrats. The Secretary of State in Maine who kicked him off the ballot, a Democrat. Who's rooting for all this? Democrats. Give me a break. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern 
right here on TNT. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. This is Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News, today's Talk, News Talk, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. And you can see my weekend attire is different to the one in the picture there. It's nice to be in my studio wearing the Hawaiian outfit as we uh, get into the big issues of the day. And I'm with this hour, David Archibald. And David, before the break, we sort of get to the end of this particular story here on COVID, how far we've come. I wanted to pivot in this uh, last 10 minutes that we have together because you're an expert in at five separate disciplines for the Supreme Court, which is just an extraordinary situation. But I wanted to ask you, the work that you're doing right now that you're focused on, how to defend Australia, what does this work entail and what exactly are you working out here? Uh, well, my background in is that, that um, as a result of going to the US, I gave a lecture at a, a, a US think tank. No, actually the Institute for World Politics, which is a graduate school for the CIA and State Department and the rest of it. That was entitled The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, one of which is China. China wants to take over the world. And uh, and then I took more interest in that because obviously we're undefended and we're in a bad state in our defence. Um, then about ten years ago, I specialised in fighter aircraft design. I ended up putting a, putting a, producing a book called American Gripen: The Solution to the F thirty five Nightmare. And um, so I do know a bit about it. And coming back from a, a, from a, a background in financial analysis, you have to look at the cost effectiveness of weapon systems, where a lot of people directly employed in military don't worry about the money, which is uh, leaving out a big part of the equation. But let's jump through to the results. Australia is, while we're in a bad situation, it can be recovered in time if we make enough effort. And that is because the evolution of electronics over the last 20 years has aided the defence. Uh, in the old days, you, you didn't know you were going to be attacked until you saw a fleet sail over the horizon. There was no. These days, we know where every enemy ship is just about all the time by satellite tracking, by over-horizon radars. Our Jindalee system can see just about up to the bottom of the South China Sea on the first bounce of the radio waves. Um, so... It should not be any surprise that these things are coming. And now these days you can attack a enemy ship uh, from about 5,000 kilometres away, assuming that your aircraft's got a 3,000 kilometre return range and it fires an a, um, anti-ship cruise missile with a 2,000 kilometre range. 
you can start plinking Chinese ships around the South China Sea. Uh, and you've got plenty of time to keep plinking away as long as you've got enough missiles. It, US Navy reckons it takes an average of seven anti-ship cruise missiles to sink a uh, capital ship like a destroyer. Uh, so you've just got to have enough of them and be able to live with them. It doesn't matter that we don't have a decent Navy. It will only get sunk anyway. Anything that pokes its head above the water will get sunk. In fact, one of the arguments against uh, us buying conventional submarines is that they have to snorkel. That snorkel is 15 centimetres in diameter. And the critics say that's too easily detected by radar. So how is a ship going to cope that weighs 5,000 tonnes? Most of it's above the waterline. Um, people are in denial about, about our ships being sunk. Um, but we do have to sink their ships. And on average, you could count on having to spend 5% of what they spend on building their ship in sinking their ship. That doesn't mean you can go and invade anybody because you don't have ships of your own, but we don't need to invade anybody. All we need is to shoot up their uh, floating metal containers or shoot down their flying metal containers. And that's reasonably easy if you make the effort. Uh, that's all we have to do. And then there's plenty of other things we should do, of course. Um, and uh, But we can recover the situation in a time left us, which may be two or three years. Wow, that's uh, it's a very very short window, isn't it? Thinking though, David, uh, if we talk about the the COVID agenda as you read it, and then the Australian Defence Strategy as you're looking at it now, why so much effort? It almost seems that the that the government of the day is itself in denial of any possibility of the ramifications of the virus and the solution uh, being part of some depopulation agenda. Like, why would they even care about military defence at this stage in history if uh, if so many people may be harmed, wiped out altogether? How does how do you um, um, rationalise those two competing ideas? Well, it's something that nobody wants to talk about. Or even um, President Xi, Xi, I think is correct pronunciation. When COVID broke out in Wuhan, he probably got brief was long. So he allowed international flights from Wuhan to Milan to spread it to the rest of the world. And he banned movement out of Wuhan within China. And then we had three years of lockdown in China, which he basically had to give up on because the provincial governments who were doing most of the testing and everything uh, ran out of money. And there started to be riots, had to give it up. Two million Chinese died immediately, what they call the dry tinder, old people with very poor immune systems. Um, now, everybody's being infected. They have a drug in China called azvudine, which is a uh, repurposed HIV antiviral. They give it to people with COVID. That hasn't happened yet in the West. Um, I wouldn't take azvudine myself. It's got side effects from probably, it's got a fluorine atom in it, and I'd rather take some other stuff. But nevertheless, to get back to your other, the, the two further aspects to your question is, one, if the CIA and the DI Defence Department in the United States behind COVID, and they are, that means all the defence treaties with the US are null and void. Um, and we've possibly also seen that in Ukraine, where Ukrainians haven't been overrun, there's a stalemate, and the US has gradually backed off any support to the, the Ukrainians, so the Ukrainians can't drive the Russians out of the eastern part of Ukraine that they've occupied. Now, why is that? They say they don't want escalation and with nuclear war and so on, but there's probably some other aspect of it. Um, these people have become very unpredictable and certainly should not be relied upon. 
which the implication is that our nuclear shield is down. The United States talked a number of countries out of developing nuclear weapons. South Korea wanted to do it in the 1970s. They talked them out of it. And Japan wanted from the 60s. Japan was sent 304 kilos of weapons-grade plutonium in the 60s. So they make 40, 50 uh, plutonium-based bombs straight away in any time they wanted to. And Obama made them send it back to the United States under Chinese pressure. Um, the Japanese are now talking about developing nuclear weapons, so are the South Koreans. The Taiwanese wanted nuclear weapons in the 70s. The US talked it out of them. Um, we used to have the ability to make uranium bombs here. And when Whitlam got into power, someone went into the Defence Secretary's uh, office and pulled out the safe and took off the plans. Um, we need to go nuclear as soon as possible and do it with the Koreans and the Japanese. Uh, we've got a bad, very bad track record with the Japanese now of being unreliable. We've got to turn that around because they, they are our best friends in the world. Only because, not because they love us as people, but our interests are aligned and with nobody else is. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as part of the Quad, um, would there be any connection there with, I think that's Japan, isn't it, and uh, and India? Um if I'm reading that correctly, uh, is this a case that more and more countries are going to have to do what Australia will have to do and go nuclear at some stage anyway? Yes, well, we're coming up to a uh, Chinese attack on somebody, um, and it could be Taiwan. You know, I'm saying 90% chance. Otherwise, it'll be Vietnam. They share a land border with Vietnam, so Taiwan's either or. You can attack but if you don't succeed you're seen to be a failure could lead to the dissolution of the the chinese government and all that sort of stuff and also attacking over 100 kilometers uh, of open sea is extremely difficult these days um it, the chinese are very likely to lose that therefore they might choose to attack vietnam instead they built whopping great highways right down the vietnamese border because uh, the last time they attacked vietnam which was 1979 they had very big problems with logistics also, the Vietnamese have got 30 bases in the South China Sea, uh, which the Chinese claim to own the, all of, and those bases make a mockery of that Chinese claim. So the Chinese could attack Vietnam and then not withdraw until the Vietnamese have given up their bases uh, in the South China Sea. Um, those are the two initial ones. Uh, but if Taiwan isn't defended, everybody will go nuclear. The Indonesians will go nuclear. Um, anybody with you, half the ability to do it. Now, bear in mind, it's not that expensive. Pakistan developed a nuclear program for an outlay of $250 million US dollars. So did South Africa. Pa the Pakistanis did the better route, making weapons-grade plutonium and plutonium bombs, which only can weigh 6 to 10 kilos at the minimum, and the South Africans did it by the U-235 route, uh, enriched uranium, in which you've got to have a 60-kilo bomb. Uh, and it's sort of limited, but um, it's not all that expensive and it will be done. We should start digging the tunnels. We need to keep the, the missiles in because the Koreans and the Japanese could attack uh, China with cruise missiles, air-launched air, air things from aircraft, but we'd have to hit them with um, long-range ballistic missiles, which the Indian, uh, Indians are developing a 12, Agni-6, which is 12,000 kilometre range. It's 6,000 kilometres from Central Australia to Northern China and Beijing. Um, we can probably do with a smaller missile, but building missiles and the nuclear technology and the bases 
and be prepared for it. Because if the Chinese win in Taiwan, they're likely to just keep going. Um, and they have uh, partially fixed their fuel supply problem. They now have 1,200 million barrels of oil in storage in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We've probably got a couple of billion. Um, but fuel supply is going to be a big problem when we import 80% of what we consume. Well, this place will shut down in a couple of weeks. Quite extraordinary. David, we've reached the end of uh, the hour, unfortunately. We could talk for hours about so many different stories, and I'd love to have you back on the show in the near future. WentworthReport.com is where you'll find David's work. We're going to take the news break now and be back with more here on Weekends on TNT. TNT.